This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. This is one of those occasions where I'm preaching someone else's sermon. But it's a sermon that is, in fact, the Scripture. The Holy Spirit gave us Stephen's message before the Jewish council, and that is what we're going to be looking at today. Hope you've come again with a prepared heart, trusting that the Lord has used the service to prepare your heart, but we're going to have to move quickly through this text, and so uh, stay with me. I hope that you'll be looking and listening And uh, it's okay to pray even as I preach. Lord, show me, teach me. And you can pray for me too. In my seminary training, I took a class that required each student to read a thousand pages of church history. It was from a a two-volume set of work entitled A Legacy of Preaching, The Life, Theology, and Methodology of History's Great Preachers. Many authors contributed to the work, but the work showed unequivocally that the church's success or failure in her mission and even every course in history since Pentecost was divinely impacted by preaching. In fact, as I took the course, I had to just step back and think about the fact that I'm a product of the preaching that I've heard in a very positive way. From the Apostle Peter right up to the present, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Think about what we're doing today. I'm standing up here and I am speaking to you. Now this isn't somebody's good idea. This was God's plan. It's what he instituted. Author David Beck said this, speaking of Peter, quote, for Peter, preaching was a divine mandate. He did not preach because of the personal satisfaction he derived from it, nor the accolades he received for it. Peter preached because he never lost sight of the command his Lord gave him at his restoration recorded in John 21. He was to feed the sheep God had assigned to his care, end quote. And that drove Peter. Paul, the apostle, had the same burning desire to fulfill his mission. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me, if I preach not the gospel. Recently, we concluded a study of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. We did that on Wednesday night. Bunyan was jailed for the primary purpose or reason that he preached in England. Yet even in the midst of his suffering, Bunyan persevered in his passion to preach. In fact, history tells us that they would gather outside his prison window and he just preached to the crowds outside the window. When Justice Keelan instructed Bunyan to leave preaching, Bunyan responded, he said this to him, Well, he's relating what he said to me. He said, I told him, as to this matter, I was at a point with him. 
That's English for I had had enough. Okay? I was at a point with him, for if I am out of prison today, I would preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. Another judge, a judge named Twisden, questioned Bunyan's wife, Elizabeth, wanting her to persuade her husband to stop preaching. Even though she survived on the charity of others as she raised their young children, here's what she responded. She said, my Lord, he dares not leave preaching as long as he can speak. What a commitment to preaching. Now let's be practical today. Every Christian, your spiritual health, my spiritual health is directly impacted by the amount of preaching that we expose ourselves to. Oh, I'm so tempted to just park right here. I don't know how many times, and you other preachers that are here, you know this. How many times did you end up counseling and you help, you're helping folks put out fires because things are coming apart, but they haven't been under the preaching of God's word? I don't know how many times I've counseled people and I'll just say to them, were you here last Sunday? Because this very thing we're going to talk about is what I preached. Now, what does all this have to do with the book of Acts? Well, at the beginning of this study, I mentioned the Holy Spirit's purpose for having Dr. Luke write two books in the Scripture. I want to remind you of this. Luke's gospel was written to show what Jesus did on earth through his physical body, through his ministry. By the way, did Jesus do any preaching? <laughs> That's all he did. Now, he would do miracles, but, but, and he would feed and, and so on, but what was he doing? He was getting their attention. He was showing them who he was so that when he preached, they would believe. And then Acts was written to show what Jesus did from heaven through his spiritual body, the church. Now, the work the Lord did through his body, the church, was done primarily through, listen, the vehicle of preaching. Our message series in Acts brings us to chapter 7. At this point, there have already been four references to preaching in the book. And chapter 7 makes five. Chapter 7 is essentially a sermon. Now, what should grab our attention about this sermon is this. And I... I'm just curious, how many of you have read Acts 7 in, that, in this sermon? How many of you, okay, all right, many of you have. I'll confess to you, without some study, without some meditation, this sermon isn't going to make a bunch of sense. If I stood up this morning and I only read Stephen's sermon, you may leave here a bit confused. So we're going to take time, slow down, and see what it was that Stephen preached and the fact that through the enlightenment and the power of the Holy Spirit, his listeners got it. Now, it made them mad, but they, they got it. But here's what's interesting about this sermon. It was unplanned and spontaneous. What's also interesting is that a deacon preached it. He was a lay leader in the early church. He is brought before the Jewish council. He's essentially on trial... The high priest asks him, 
Are you guilty of what you've been accused of? And he reaches in his Bible and he pulls out his sermon notes. That didn't happen. He begins to answer the questions by not answering and preaching a message, but by the way, at the end of the sermon, he will, will see, answer the question. So I believe the Lord would have us see through this text that a spirit-controlled Christian who by faith accurately declares God's word, and that can be any believer here, any believer here, will see it work powerfully in the lives of listeners. It's one of the key themes of the book of Acts that God expects us to understand as we continue to serve him in the church today. So I've entitled the message, Preaching That Penetrates the Heart. Later in the sermon, or after the sermon, we're going to see that the, the scripture tells us they were cut to the heart. That's that penetration I'm talking about. All right? So preaching that penetrates the heart. We'll get as far as we can today. Um, I'm hoping to get all the way through the message, but our, our goal is to be done on time. Now, you'll remember that Stephen was already preaching in a local synagogue when he was arrested. He's brought before the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and he's falsely accused. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Then said the high priest, are these things so? Are they true? Stephen doesn't answer the question, but he begins to preach. He isn't interested in debate. What he's interested in is the declaration of the gospel. By the way, how important that is. People are going to want to debate you about what you believe. Just declare the gospel to them. All right, until God turns the light on, you may convince them of some things, but what they need to be convinced of is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, and so... Are these things so? Stephen begins by recounting to these religious leaders a story. It's a story that they knew, but let's look closely at it. He shares with them the Jewish story, verse 2. And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken or listen. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come unto the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land, wherein ye now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, uh, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spoke on this wise that the seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth, in other words, they'll be delivered, and serve him in this place. 
And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. All right, this is the Jewish story. Now, this mention of circumcision as a sign of God's covenant with Abraham is purposeful. He's not just talking. Stephen says it on purpose. So keep this in mind, and then Stephen is going to return to this subject. This is masterful. He's going to return to it later in verse 51. Now, thus far, the Jewish leaders would have agreed with everything that Stephen had preached. This was their heritage. This was their past through Abraham. They prided themselves in being the children of Abraham. Then Stephen begins to carefully explain that the Jewish story is one of rebellion. Now, this is where things start getting interesting, okay? Are you all buckled up? Everybody buckled up? All right. But think, think with me this morning. Watch what he does in this sermon. First, the rebellion started with those 12 patriarchs, the sons of Jacob, rebelling against the plan of God that was revealed in their younger brother. You've heard of him. His name is Joseph. So rebellion against God's plan revealed through Joseph. Remember, the rebellion started pretty early. Verse 9, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. Now let me pause. Why did they do that? He was a dreamer. But where did he get his dreams? From God. God was trying to teach Jacob and these other sons what he was going to do. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came a dearth, a famine over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. Now think back to the story. Joseph's in Egypt. These guys don't have any idea their brother is in Egypt. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. Now, why is this significant? Well, the brothers remembered Joseph's dreams and they came to realize that God had fulfilled those dreams as they bowed before him. He's now prime minister. These guys remembered that. Verse 13 continues, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, three score and 15 souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Amor, Hamor, uh, the son or the father of Shechem. Now this makes up the first section of Stephen's message. Though at this point, the Jewish council doesn't know where the preacher is going with this. Stephen is going to move to the next period of Israel's rebellion. Your fathers rebelled against the plan of God even though he gave Joseph dreams. Joseph declared those dreams. Jacob, we're told, kept these things, pondered them in his heart. He rebukes Joseph, but the brothers hate Joseph for what he has said. 
Now look at verse 17. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who knew not Joseph, the same dwelt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out. Okay, that's a Greek word, uh, which means that they exposed the babies. They were to be thrown in the river. Just get rid of them is the idea. They're young children to the end that they may not live. Verse 20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when it came, uh, and when he was cast out, again, the idea when he was exposed to the elements, put in a, a, a basket that was coated with tar on the outside and then float, was caused to be floated in the Nile. And moms, imagine doing that with your three-month-old. Pharaoh's daughter took him up. Oh, it sounds like a miracle from the Lord here. Nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Now let's pause here. Let me ask you a question. Okay, you thinking with me? Do you think the Israelites knew that one of their own, Moses, was being raised in Pharaoh's court? Do you think they knew that? They knew it, folks. They knew it. They knew this story. They knew who this one was, by the way, who is being prepared to be the next pharaoh of Egypt. That's what history tells us. So how do we know that they knew who Moses was? Look at verse 23. And when he was full, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him uh, that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For, and this is, this is Moses' reasoning, for now he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. Have you ever thought about that? They knew who was in Pharaoh's court. They knew how he got there. Moses knows that they know and he's being trained and he's probably, well, not probably, he's thinking, all right, they understand God is working to put me in charge to deliver them. But what's the next phrase in verse 25? But they understood not. What is that? It's unbelief. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one, uh, at one again. In other words, trying to reconcile this conflict, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do ye wrong out, uh, do ye wrong one to another? In other words, remember who the real enemy is here. <laughs> but he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him, Moses, away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses understands this is strategic. God's put me in, in, in Pharaoh's family. The children of Israel know it, but... We don't want this guy to rule over us. What is that? With all the miracles God had done, that's just rebellion. 
Despite what God had done in sparing Moses' life, bringing him into Pharaoh's house, the Jews were already in rebellion against God's man Moses and the obvious miracle that God had done. Now, is this a stretch? Am I stretching the text? No. Look at verse 35, and again, you're going to get your answer here. We're going to come to this a little bit later, but it's worth noting now. Chapter 7, verse 35, this Moses, whom they, what? They refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. There it is. No, this was all God's doing, but they're like, no, we don't want you. And so there's rebellion against the plan of God revealed through Joseph. Notice secondly, second part of the message, rebellion against God's man, Moses. So when Moses realized the people knew that he had killed the Egyptian taskmaster, verse 29, then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and, he was, and, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and dared not behold it. All right, he couldn't, he, he was afraid to look. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes for thy, from thy feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, sang, and we've just looked at this verse, who made thee a ruler and a judge. Now, Remember when God said to Moses, go back to Egypt, Moses protested, I can't speak. But that's not all there was. That's the excuse that he used. But remember early on when he's interacting and he's, he, he, he delivers this Jew who's being beaten by a, a, a slave master. And then he goes and he talks to his brethren and he says, why are you quarreling? Stop. You're, you guys aren't the enemy here. And then they react to Moses. One of the reasons Moses didn't want to go back is they've already rejected me once. Lord, they haven't even seen me in a while. They're going to take me, a, they're going to believe me a second time? That's the mindset. The same did, Mo, did God send to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. Now upon his return, they still did not want to follow God's man. Yet verse 36 says, he brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Now Stephen here begins to point to Messiah. What's the sign of Messiah? good preaching. It's Christological. 
Now, it doesn't make stuff up to try to bring Christ into the text. But it points to Messiah wherever it is in the text. Now, in this message, Stephen understands, I've got to get to Jesus Christ here, Jesus the Messiah. So this is where he begins. All right, again, back in verse 37, and he quotes Moses, who said this in Deuteronomy 18.15. He said this about Jesus. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, Peter quotes this text when he preached uh, after healing the lame man back in Acts 3.22. He quotes the same passage. How was Moses like Jesus? Well, first of all, he was a lawgiver, right? Genesis 49.10. He was a spokesman for God, an intercessor through whom would come deliverance. And in the end, many of the Jews rejected Moses and died in the wilderness. Did Israel accept Jesus? No, they nailed him to a cross. Later, Stephen would remind the council that they rejected Jesus just like their fathers had rejected Moses. Now, Stephen continues, verse 38. This is he, this Moses, that was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the mountain Sinai. And with our fathers who received the lively or the living oracles uh, this is revealed doctrine that is living because it came from the mouth of God. It's a reference here to the law that God gave on Sinai. To give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, they thrust him away from them, and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. Remember that? Moses is up in the mountain getting the law of God. And they, they express what's in their hearts. We don't know about this guy, Moses. They still really don't want to follow him. So they go to Aaron, make a gold calf that brought us out of Egypt. That's verse 40. Make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Yeah, they had a party. And they worshipped that golden calf. Now this completes the second part of Stephen's message. The Jewish fathers rebelled against God's plan, revealed through Moses. They rebelled against God's man, Moses. And there's a third way that their rebellion was seen. And this is where we're going to have to stop this morning. But their rebellion was against God's prophets. So, let's look at verses 42 and 43, and we'll be done. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Worshiping the host of heaven is a direct quote. Jeremiah says it. Jeremiah 19. Amos says it. Amos 5. 
O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech. When did that start? When they got into the promised land. And the star of your God, Rephan, figures which ye made to worship them. In other words, you made idols. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So the Lord is essentially saying this, from the wilderness wanderings up to your Babylonian captivity, you rebelled against me. Now at this point, the Jewish leaders are shifting uneasily in their seats. This is their history. And by the way, they're a whole lot like these guys that Stephen is talking about. In fact, they're just like Stephen will bring up a fourth area, fourth part of the Jewish father's rebellion, and we'll see that and conclude the message next week. Here's the point, and we'll get to make it this time, and we'll, we'll make it again when we conclude. Folks, this is preaching that penetrates the heart. God wants to do two things through us, just as he did through Stephen. God wants us to, God wants to make us the kind of proclaimer that Stephen was. When we get to the end of this message a third time, we're going to be reminded from the Holy Spirit in the text, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Any one of you who's a child of God, if you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, You've repented of whatever is standing between you and God. You're walking with the Lord. You're yielded to the Holy Spirit. If you are yielded to him and then you are full of faith from the standpoint that when God wants you to become a proclaimer in the workplace, with your family, in a store, God wants you to be a proclaimer and by faith, you don't even question it, you just proclaim. When we are this kind of a proclaimer or a preacher, and this, this would apply publicly to all of you men who are called to preach, uh, you men and ladies that teach in various uh, contexts here in the church, when you are willing, what God wants to show us in this text, that he will empower your message and it will penetrate hearts. Now the outcome... <laughs> What they do in response to the word of God penetrating their hearts, that's up to God. It may be an open heart to receive. It may be more rebellion and, in fact, even perhaps an attack on you. But the point is God wants to use us to preach his word, proclaim it, to penetrate hearts. My challenge is, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our mission. We've seen Peter preach in the text. Later, we're going to get to see Paul preach in this book. But here is a man who has just been given responsibility to help serve tables and make sure widows are taken care of. But what's he also doing? He's out proclaiming in a synagogue, gets arrested, and here he is, and then he preaches an impromptu message that God is going to use mightily. And so uh, I'm just going to let it out. 
when this man is, is stoned, and you'll see this next time, there are a bunch of people that are just beside themselves in hatred to this man. There's one guy standing there who's holding everybody's coats so that they can throw stones and, and kill this guy, Stephen. But the one holding the coats, his heart has been penetrated too. You might recognize the name Saul of Tarsus. And for a short time, Saul gets meaner too. He's like the other guys. But it's working. It's working. And it's just making him more miserable. And so when the Lord drops him, literally through his glory, knocks him down on the road to Damascus, what's the first thing out of Saul's mouth? What do you want me to do, Lord? So the invitation was a little later, but it came through who's preaching? Stephen. May we be willing to let God use us by yielding to him and then proclaiming his truth. Don't hold back. God's word is quick and powerful, dividing even to the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? The heart. Only one book can penetrate and change the heart. And you and I have the privilege of proclaiming it. Father, thank you for what we've been able to see today. There is so much here. Lord, would you help us to be committed first to being what a preacher, a proclaimer ought to be, a spirit-controlled Christian who is walking with God. And the fruit of the Spirit then is faith, trust, so that when there is an opportunity to proclaim, we're ready and you're able to work through us to get to hearts. Lord, we live in a world that is in darkness. Hearts need to be revived, regenerated with truth. God, use us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.